You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. needs to be Jesus. Because if it's any other thing, if they don't become what I think they ought to be, then I give up or lose heart. My motive to love my wife is because of my love for Jesus Christ. Her motive to love me and submit to me is because of her relationship with Jesus Christ, and that's the way it ought to be. You find a couple like that and you can overcome any of the pitfalls. What's the reason or motive behind the things you do and the way that you treat people? Are you driven by what you'll get out of the relationship or how you'll benefit from it? Do you treat people differently if they can do something in your favor? Or do you treat people equally? In today's message, Pastor Danny will encourage you to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and to make Him your main priority in everything you do and in every relationship you're in. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 7 as he continues his message, Singleness and Single-Mindedness. idea of your belief. Jesus made the perfect sacrifice for all mankind's sins. And if you believe with your heart and confess with your mouth that he is Lord, you shall be saved. Why do you believe this? The Bible is God's word to mankind, time tested and true, despite all man's criticisms. And then they gave him an opportunity for comments. And here's his comments. I wish I had done better representing my faith here at Lakewood. A relationship with Jesus is a relationship with the God of the universe who created everyone uniquely. Jesus is the answer to any problem you may have in your life. Just call out to him and he'll be sure to answer. That makes a father proud. But then came the day that my wife and I in one car and our son Tanner in his car followed him to Orlando, Florida, where he's going to begin University of Central Florida. And as a pastor, I've seen many Christian young people go off to college, especially if it's not Christian college, and some relationship, romantic relationship, pulls them away. Or some kooky professor with all kind of intellects that really knows nothing about God and truth leads them down a false path. And so despite my wife and I doing our very best to raise our children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, we're obviously concerned. I remember, I think it was a Wendy's restaurant. That would be appropriate. Me and Wendy sitting in Wendy's with our son Tanner. 
in Orlando and saying, there's two things you need to do and you need to make it a priority. Number one, number one, you need to find a good Bible-believing ministry on campus and get involved on campus and get involved as soon as you can. Secondly, you need to check out some churches. We had given him the Calvary Chapel information, and he checked the Calvary Chapel out. But he ended up in another church. But what he did is he did those two things: find a ministry, get involved; find a church, get involved. And we are so proud he did both. Antioch Church he became a part of, and over time he became the volunteer middle school director. He got involved in Campus Crusade for Christ, now crew it's called, and became a drummer in one of their worship teams and bands, and it made such a difference. He survived secular university, and that's a great challenge. We got a lot of single parents in our world, a lot of single parents in our church. You talk about a challenge, single parent, and most of them are ladies. Most of them are mothers. You tell me you you tell me they're not longing for love? They're not only longing for a man to love them the way he should and not leave them. They're longing for a man to love their children the way their children ought to be loved by a father. And you tell me Satan doesn't know that and and hell huddles regularly and says, "Send them this guy." That'll really keep them not only out of heaven, or if they're already saved, it'll certainly keep them from making a difference in their kids' lives. We'll get their kids to hell because they'll be so wishy-washy in their faith. And you think hell doesn't plan those kind of things? Listen, the devil sometimes has blue eyes, blonde hair, and blue jeans. That'd be a great song. All the old people know. I go there going, I know that song. I know that song. And the young people are going, what are you talking about? Let me tell you what I have seen, and it's absolutely true. If you have a single person that's not single-minded for the Lord and they get married, they'll more than likely be pulled further away from any semblance of a single-mindedness for the Lord. That's why it's vital you marry the right person. But to marry the right person, you've got to be the right person. Single-minded for the Lord as a single, and marry somebody single-minded for the Lord. That's the way to do it. Luke chapter 14, the parable of the banquet. The banquet is the great welcome into heaven, the wedding supper of the Lamb. And as Jesus tells the parable of the banquet, and so many are called, so many are invited and in the parable, the first, verse 18, says, I just bought a field. I got to go and see it. I'd like to come, and I can't. Too busy with the things of this life. The second says, I just bought five yoke of oxen. The business is expanding. Too committed to the business. But what I want you to see in the context of what we're talking about is verse 20. Still another said, I just got married. I can't come. So let me switch gears with only a few minutes left. Singles, I hope and pray you hear and have have heard God and that you'll be single-minded for the Lord. That if it is God's will for you to marry, and that's probably the majority, if not all the singles, that because you're single-minded for the Lord, you find that person that God has for you. And you marry in the will of God. And you find that person that now you can, as a couple, be single-minded for the Lord. Because I've seen it happen. I grieve 
young people who were a part of this church at one time and so committed and so, such examples. And then they get pulled away by a romantic relationship outside of the will of God. Romance is a powerful pull. And then I've seen couples that even though they're not renouncing Christ and they come to church and they still would say we're Christians and we love the Lord, <sighs> the parable of the seed and the sower. And as time goes by, the cares of this life and the anxieties and the worries of this life and things that are not sin in and of themselves, all of a sudden you got the kids and, and you got the soccer and you got the, the everything else. And then you're like, you got to attend church and you attend church, but you wonder why now the kids grow up, all they do is Attend church. And listen, it's quiet right now, but it's meant to be convicting. It's because it's convicting. Because it's so easy as a Christian couple, you get together, but all of a sudden, the things of life start to pull you away. And now, now at best, you're lukewarm. It can happen to anybody. People who love the Lord. As we view eternity and not just this life. And that's why at the end of Genesis, Jacob says, as he's giving instructions of how to take care of his his funeral and his burial, make sure you bury me, not with Rachel, the one who outwardly was the knockout and he was head over heels in love with. But over time, you saw Rachel and the character flaws. If you look under the hood of that nice outside, there were some things spiritually she just didn't have. Leah learning to grow and learning to live in love by faith and Jacob living and loving by faith and they came together toward the Lord and toward one another. And so Jacob says, when you bury me, bury me with Leah. And that's what you want. As we switch gears, single-mindedness as a couple. And I am purposely, purposely going to go quickly through this, not rushed, but quickly. This was going to be a whole separate message, but I felt the Lord strongly lead me to give you some characteristics of single-minded Christian couples. We've already talked about purity, but I'll just say it again and move on. You're committed to one another till death do us part. You're not dreaming about somebody else, fantasizing about somebody else, looking at pictures or, or whatever. You know, It's your wife, your husband, and you're committed to them. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure. We've covered that. But maybe a fresh reminder. Second, their life and their marriage is patterned after Christ in the church. What does that mean? Ephesians. The husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. Unfortunately, you don't hear a lot of that these days. But the truth doesn't change. Culture may change. Churches may not preach the truth. But it is the truth. The husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. But what does that mean? It means he is the lead, not Lord. Lording started when sin came into the world, Genesis 3. Your desire will be for your husband, Eve, to act independently from his headship. And he will rule over you. That's not God's will. Not to be the boss. Not to have somebody just to do what he wants and what he says. What kind of marriage is that? What kind of relationship is that? Is that what Christ does? Of course, he, he, he leads us. He guides us. He doesn't force us. He is Lord. But what an example is Lord. It means to love and not lounge. And if that remote is more important than her, put it down. If you want to know if it's more important than her or if she feels it's more important than her, just ask her. 
She'll tell you a lot of things if you want to know. Most of the time, we don't want to know. Let's just ride on. Things just seem to be fine. It's to be a sacrificial love. Sacrificial love. Not give up your responsibility as the leader. Christ gave himself up for her. The bride. What's the best thing for my wife? What's the best thing for my kids? Am I thinking about just me? And then it's to be a cleansing love. Cleansing her with washing with water through the word. A lot of guys don't understand this, and I think I finally got it. I think I finally got it a few years ago, and here's my take on it. What does that mean, practically speaking? What some guys do when they read that, cleansing it with washing through the word, that means to quote, quote, to go to Ephesians a few verses before, wives be submissive to your husbands as unto the Lord. And so you remind her of that every time she's not submissive. And you preach to her, and you think that's going to work. Cleansing her by the washing with the word. Not only is it, you know, sharing scripture, but look, even more than that, here's my take on it. It's when the word becomes flesh in you as a husband, that's when you begin to wash her. When the word becomes flesh in you and is lived out by leading and not lording, by loving and not lounging, by sacrificing and thinking what's best for her. And you watch what a cleansing and what a, what a purifying and what a godly effect that has on your wife. Somebody said it. You want to do yourself a favor, husband? Love your wife. And you'll do yourself a favor. And then for the wives, boy, they hate this one. I don't blame them. If I was on that side, I'd hate it too. I'm glad I'm on the headship side. And yet, and yet, and yet the husband is more responsible. Who got more print? So in some ways, I might reverse that and say, well, it would be easier to be on the other side. But look, the Bible says that the wife is to submit to the husband as to the Lord. That's what it says. What does that mean? Well, it's limited. What do I mean by that? If your husband says, hey, you want to go rob a bank this week? I know that's a ludicrous example. But what if he's cheating on the taxes? And as a Christian, you say, honey, that's not right. You know, you're not going to agree with sin. You're not going to agree with something wrong. You're not going to follow him into sin. You know, you become a Christian and you used to smoke the toke with him and now you got to stop. And you say, well, you just got to go get high by yourself. And I wish you wouldn't. You know, it's limited. You're serving the Lord now. And you're to be a godly wife and a good wife, but you're not to follow him into sin. So it's also not a forced submission, not a forced submission. Now, I could talk, again, my intention was to do a whole message on these, and that wouldn't be wrong, but her submission is not to be an unthinking obedience to his rule, but rather a grateful acceptance of his care. Whenever the husband's headship mirrors the headship of Christ and the wife's submission to the protection and provision of his love, far from detracting from her womanhood, will positively enrich it. John Stott said that. Great words. But here's what I wanted to hit very, very quickly, but again, not hurriedly. The husband's headship, leading, not lording, loving, not lounging, sacrificial love, cleansing love, and anything else you might say there. The wife's submission, both are dependent on what comes before. And that's Ephesians 5.21. Before the whole section about wives submit to your husbands, husbands love your wives, etc., etc. You know what it is? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Man, please... Woman, please listen to this. Here's what I put in my notes. 
my attitude and actions toward my spouse is based on my relationship with the commitment to Christ. My single-mindedness for the Lord causes me to persevere in my commitment toward my spouse. Made me think of a page in my utmost for his highest devotional by Oswald Chambers that I've never forgotten. This one I remember more than any of them, and there's a lot of good ones in here. But let me read you this little section entitled, The Determination to Serve. The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, right in the heart of it. I'll spend myself to the last ebb for you. You may give me praise or give me blame. It will make no difference. So long as there is a human being who does not know Jesus Christ, I am his debtor to serve him until he does. The mainspring of Paul's service is not love for men, but love for Jesus Christ. If we're devoted to the cause of humanity, we shall soon be crushed and brokenhearted. For we shall often meet with more ingratitude from men than we would from a dog. I would have said a cat. But if our motive is to love God, no ingratitude can hinder us from serving our fellow man. You take that truth in the context of marriage. My motive needs to be Jesus. Because if it's any other thing, if they don't become what I think they ought to be, then I give up. Or lose heart. My motive to love my wife is because of my love for Jesus Christ. Her motive to love me and submit to me is because of her relationship with Jesus Christ, and that's the way it ought to be. And you find a couple like that, and you can overcome any of the pitfalls. I will just say one husband said to his wife, I'm going to make you the happiest woman in the world. And she said, I'll miss you. One wife prayed, dear Lord, I pray for wisdom to understand my man, love to forgive him, and patience for his moves, moves because, Lord, if I pray for strength, I'll beat him to death. <laughs> and last but not least, you get two single-minded people for the Lord in one marriage relationship, and you got a single-minded marriage. The priority is Jesus. You can't oversimplify that. Listen, it's not how many books you read about marriage and kids and all that stuff. You know, years ago when families were much more healthy in America, uh, they, didn't have, they didn't have the kind of books we have today on marriage and children and all that. So how in the world were they healthier? Because they had this. And the priority was Jesus. And if the priority is Jesus, here's some of the things you'll find. The Word becomes a part of family life. Deuteronomy chapter 6. And this is not some husband standing up on a soapbox and preaching in his home. This is just life in the home. Here's what it says. Verse 6, these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. My kids, our kids, couldn't go to the bathroom growing up without seeing the Word of God. Unless they went with their eyes closed, and I would not recommend that. 
And I believe God could have done whatever he wanted to with any of our kids. And God's sovereign. And you can come from a home that doesn't have a, a mom and dad that really love the Lord. And God can still do a tremendous work in a child's life. Well, with that said, that's the exception. Not, that's not the rule. God says, raise your children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And I don't believe I'd be able to read what I read to you today from our oldest son. Or I don't believe our kids would be what they are today if it weren't for at least my wife and I praying for them daily and doing the best we can despite our imperfection to live before them and make the word of God as they grow up a part of regular family life. I mean, that's all they heard growing up. And it wasn't me preaching. They get enough of that. The word just became part of our lives. And please, I get nasty emails when I talk about this one, especially when I get emotional about it. But you give me a Christian family, you give me a Christian mom and dad, and the focus is not just on their family. And some Christian couples, all they do is worship. And I, this is where I get the emails. They worship their family. And they're blind to it. And everything's about their family. Let me tell you something. Our family is connected to the family of God. And we've got to understand that we need to make an impact as a family through the church. Because this is God's bride. And this is God's body in this life. And this is God's way of doing his work is through the church. And you wonder why sometimes kids grow up, and, they, they, and, and if they do, we got a culture where kids aren't attending church anymore. They grew up in church, and that's sad, and I pray for revival. But even some that are attending church, that's all they do is attend church. Why? Because that's all their parents did is attend church. And God help us with busy schedules and all that. Uh, just to understand that, look, you got to go beyond the soccer games and all that stuff. And there are seasons in life. I realize that. There are seasons. But don't ever let the seasons of life keep you away from the priority of the family of God and more than just attending, being used to build up the local church. And I thought of this one because Santos and I teaming up for this men's conference in Hernando County last week, and you think we're in a retirement area. Boy, up there, retirement everywhere. You see these people out there losing their salvation on the golf course the morning we're setting up for the men's conference. You know, there's a big, big window there and people playing golf. And, oh, God, I thank you I'm delivered. I know some of you like the sport. For me, it wasn't good for me. You know I'd lose my salvation on the back nine somewhere. And I... <laughs> but even if you're good at it, really, really your goal is so you can live in a community, so you can hit a white ball around 18 holes somewhere. Really, that's the goal in life? Give me a break. You want to get a Winnebago and drive around and see things you've never seen? That's not a bad idea, unless that's all you want to do. Really? Come on. I want to die with my spiritual boots on. If I'm traveling around the country, I want to travel around the country as an old guy to share Jesus and to encourage young pastors and, and do something in my old age for the kingdom. I want, to, I want to go down making a difference for the kingdom of God, no matter what your circumstance in life. You're single, you're married, you're divorced, you're widowed, you're in a happy place, you're in a sad place, you're in a rich place materially, a poor place materially, it doesn't matter. No matter where you are in life, that's what Paul said, our text, 1 Corinthians 7. He's saying, I want to encourage you to be single-minded, fully devoted to the Lord.
Thanks for joining Pastor Danny today as he walks us through the book of Mark. This New Testament gospel book conveys a fast-paced progression of events that occurred during Jesus' ministry. It's almost as if the writer intended to communicate that Jesus was continually forward-thinking toward the cross and his mission and purpose here on earth. In Mark 10.45, it says, Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. This is the ultimate summary of the book of Mark. Jesus came humbly as a servant to reach the lost. Are you feeling lost today? Or have you been found and are following Jesus fully now? No matter what your answer is, we'd love to hear from you. Our email address is info at ccfstpete.church. Let us know how you heard about the living word and how we can be praying for you. That address again is info at ccfstpete.church. If you're in the St. Petersburg area, come join us and hear from Pastor Danny at Calvary Chapel Fellowship. We're holding services each Saturday at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. You'll find all the information you need on our website, ccfstpete.church. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope that you'll join us again for our next edition, right here on The Living Word.